This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila. Uh, And next up, this year, the Communications and Multimedia Content Forum of Asia issued a revamped version of the content code, which came into effect on the 30th of May. So this came after the forum held a public consultation late last year on the proposed changes to the content code. Um, And essentially, if you're not familiar with what that is, the content code is a reference point for everyone involved in the content ecosystem. So this extends to people who create it, spread it, consume it, and includes broadcasters, content creators, advertisers, social media influencers, and consumers. And the main objective of the content code is to outline self-regulation procedures uh, that allow um, these platforms to continue operating while adhering to a a general standard of acceptable uh, behaviour while continuing to be creative, innovative and uh, have growth, essentially. Uh, We are going to hear a lot more on this from our guest very shortly, but if we look at the eight key focus areas that the forum identified, um, essentially uh, it was upholding rights of children in advertising, upholding rights of persons with disabilities, ensuring ethical reporting of suicide cases, addressing abuse of religion in advertisements, prohibition against online abuse and gender Based violence, addressing false content and its impact on the community, ensuring influencers and online marketplaces are guided by ad guidelines and requiring disclosure of advertising from influencers and paid for space in news. That's a lot there, so we are going to unpack that very shortly, but let us know what are your thoughts on these focus areas? Do you have questions? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Madiha Mahmud, who is the executive director of the Content Forum. Madiha, good to have you with us. Good to be here. Hi, Sharmila. So let's start with the public consultation exercise that you conducted. Um, what level of engagement did you see? Well, the public consultation of the PC ran for about twelve weeks. Uh, we gained an average of more than a hundred responses per week. Um, We didn't just rely on people to come visit our website and read the PC paper to provide their feedback, but we also conducted town hall sessions with various stakeholders and interested parties. I believe we had about 20 town halls throughout the period and more than a thousand participants in total. We also hosted public dialogues on specific topics relating to the issues. And we were very, very fortunate to have had with us a number of um, celebrities, academicians, uh, government officials, influencers, all of them discussing um, the the revamp. And it was very interesting, very eye-opening. And in fact, it sometimes led to quite a heated debate as well. I think all in all, it was very good. We had a great number of participants, around 1,245, I believe. Um, Around 20% of them were students. So I would say that we are pretty proud of how we now have a content code that's made by the people for the people. And as I ran through just now, um, eight key focus areas were identified from that process. Let's run through them. Um, Firstly, on this issue of upholding the rights of children in advertising, what were some of the main issues that came up and how are they being addressed within this revamped content code? The thing is about children, we previously had a subcode uh, for, for children. So essentially, we just incorporated that into the content code. And the intention was to address not just advertisements targeting children, but also advertisements featuring children. 
Um, I think you'd agree with me that children do seem to be much more mature these days than some of us adults were at their age, that we sometimes tend to forget that underneath their confidence and eloquence, they are still children and they still need special care and attention. Um, we also see these days there is a growing interest in showcasing children with parents sometimes dedicating whole blogs, YouTube channels, and even TikToks focusing on their child. Um, so to ensure that advertisements do not exploit this desire for attention, one of the provisions introduced states that the use of children is not encouraged in ads unless the products advertised are relevant to them or except in the context of promoting safety for children. Um, and I think another thing that I should highlight is that an issue in children advertising that's pretty a, a pretty much a hot topic globally is what they call pester power. In America, they call it the nag factor. It, it's basically the tendency of children who, when they are bombarded with advertisement messages, they relentlessly pester or nag their parents to buy their product. Um, so all around the world, uh, there are rules and guidelines being introduced to prohibit marketing campaigns that increase pester power in children because it's seen as an, an, an unethical practice. So the content code has also introduced provisions to address this. Other than that, um, we also focused on preventing harm by making sure that ads don't contain anything which may result in harming children, whether physically or mentally. Uh, for example, children should not be shown in hazardous situations or portrayed in a sexual way or ridiculed in any way. Uh, so those are among the provisions that we have for children in advertising. So the second focus looks at upholding the rights of persons with disabilities. Could you share more on what that involves? Yes. When we talk about content and persons with disabilities, it is twofold. First, we have the content itself. Um, so the content code establishes that any form of humor or ridicule based on physical, mental, or sensory disability may be offensive, even when you don't intend any malice. Uh, for example, using the word retarded or schizo as an insult. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't encourage that, we don't allow that. We also encourage any reference to disability to be expressed in neutral terms. So I think the rule there is that you emphasize the individual, individual and not the disability. So rather than using terms such as disabled person or handicapped people, then you, so you say people with disabilities. Um, secondly, for content for persons with disabilities, we address content accessibility. Um, so basically, the code now requires everyone to understand that persons with disabilities has the right to equal access to information. Um, and as such, we must ensure that the content provided is in accessible formats and technologies appropriate for them. For example, having captions or sign language interpreter on screen during news programs. So those are the two things that we are addressing now. So the issue of ethical reporting of suicide cases, how would you um, mm. characterize the way this has been reported on in the past and what prompted this to be one of the main focuses? Actually, Sharmila, this is one of those issues that we ourselves did not foresee and was fortunately brought to our attention where we did the public consultation and also when we had those dialogues in the town hall sessions. Um, there have been many instances of news reports and even social media sharings of news relating to suicide cases where the content breaches the uh, MOH, the Ministry of Health Guidelines on Media Reporting on Suicide. And we felt that it was probably not because people were intending to, but because most people were unaware of the issue of suicide contagion. Um, for the benefit of those who may not have heard of it, suicide contagion is the exposure to suicide or suicidal behaviors, including through media reports, which can result in an increase in suicide and suicidal behaviors. So for people who are already vulnerable to the thoughts of suicide, publicity around another suicide uh, appears to make a difference um, as they are considering their options. In fact, I think um, 
more than 5% of youth suicides are influenced by contagion. That's why, if you recall, a few years ago, there's this Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why, and it fueled really heated debates because searches and discussions about suicide among the youth skyrocketed uh, with that show's release. Um, I'd I just like to take this opportunity to really thank everyone, uh, the mental health advocates and the professionals who helped us at the Content Forum uh, to, to make sure the ethical suicide reporting is appropriately addressed in the new content code. So talk to us then about the parameters that have been set when it comes to the ethical reporting of suicide. Okay, so in terms of ethical reporting, um, the rules are pretty simple when you think about it. Um, number one, you need to avoid sensationalizing the coverage of suicide. So uh, there shouldn't be front headlines about suicide cases. Uh, number two, and this is most important because a lot of people don't seem to know this or, or are unaware of the fact that it's actually something they should avoid. Um, that's graphic photos or videos or even descriptions that depict the deceased uh, the methods in which the deceased used, or even the scene of the suicide. Uh, those details should not be included. Um, you don't depict the suicide as a method of coping with personal problems, like emphasizing that this person was, was bankrupt or had a broken heart. Um, you emphasize more on mourning the person's death without glorifying it, and always take into account the impact of suicide on families in terms of stigma and psychological suffering. Uh, but most importantly, and this has been reminded to us many times, um, it should always include positive messages and information on help available like mental health service helplines and things like that. So now moving on to the issue of abuse of religion in advertisements, um, could you tell us more about how this is usually reflected in marketing and how this will now be addressed? This is also an issue that was brought up during our consultation with various stakeholders, including consumers, advertisers, and even our friends in Jakim. Um, there is apparently an influx of advertisements and marketing campaigns that use or abuse religion as a marketing gimmick. For example, I'm sure you've seen as well, using religious personalities to provide religious testimonials which promote or endorse a product as if it is sanctioned by the religion itself, or making claims or false interpretations of religious teachings to give false promises to consumers. Um, so this was identified as an exploitation of the religion for commercial gain. And also from the context of advertising, it can be seen as a misleading ad or claim. So that's what we are addressing now as well. And if we look at um, the fifth area, which is, uh, I think, something that is quite tricky to manage, right? The prohibition of online abuse and gender-based violence. Mm. How is this being defined within the code? So this was included um, in consideration of the fact that uh, Malaysia's position as a signatory uh, for the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, or CEDAW, I think it's called. Uh, so in essence, uh, gender-based uh, violence is a violation of the human rights of women, girls, and other people negatively targeted because of their gender identity or their gender expression. Um, you might be familiar with things like um, unwanted sexual remarks, um, non-consensual posting of sexual media, uh, threats, doxing, cyber-stalking, networked harassment, all these things. So, of course, the content court already had provisions relating to content on violence, both physical and psychological. But looking at the way things are right now, with regards to behaviors of people online, uh, there is a need to address content that incites or provokes any act of abuse and gender-based violence. So, right now, the content code includes in its definition of violent content, any content that incites online abuse and gender-based violence. 
And this is, um, I mean, what mechanisms will there be really to to track? You know, it's not something that I think anyone has properly cracked, but I'm curious about what mechanisms will be able to track these kinds of issues or to even enforce action against perpetrators. That's a very good question. And I can only speak about the content forum and the self-regulatory ecosystem in which we operate. So essentially, the content code now prohibits content that incites or provokes any acts of abuse and gender-based violence that results in or is likely to result in physical, sexual, or psychological harm or suffering. As for the mechanisms in place, it remains to be what we have now. That is the lodging of reports of such content to our complaints bureau. And if found to be in breach, then sanctions can be imposed. But more importantly, as I always find an opportunity to say, an effective self-regulatory ecosystem works best if everyone within that ecosystem plays their respective roles well. So everyone out there, including yourself, including myself, we're encouraged to exercise our own power of self-regulation, not just by lodging reports to us at the content forum, but in the arena of social media. We can utilize the self-regulation tools within each platform, guided by their own respective community guidelines, and report such content while also, and this is, this is very important, while also making sure that we don't share or amplify such content as well. Marika, unfortunately, we have only about a minute and a half left, but I did want <laughs> to get to this particular aspect, which is um, false content. So I just wanted to ask you um, what's being done here and what do you think some of the challenges are when it comes to curbing misinformation? With, with regards of, you know, false content has already been addressed in not just the content code, but in other legislation as well. But what we have emphasized now in the new content code is we're talking about perpetuating untruths that may cause public fear and or panic or is prejudicial to public order or national security. So we're looking at that. Um, and I think the biggest challenge for us in trying to curb this fake news and false information is the fact that our people now seems to be, to be, there's a desire to be the first to share things. So there's no corroboration, no reliable source, but there's automatic sharing and believing of things. So I think awareness of how this can impact society is also important. And it's something that we will be working together with other stakeholders to emphasize on as well. Madiha, thanks for speaking with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Madiha Mahmud, Executive Director of the Content Forum, weighing in and um, giving us some insight into the revamp that was just uh, revealed on, uh, well, in May. Um, and that was the, the product of a process of public consultation. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, what do you think of the areas of focus? Um, you can call 777-332-900, WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. After this, we'll be wrapping up the main headlines of the week. So keep it here on the evening edition BFM 89.9 Thank you for listening to this podcast To find more great interviews go to bfm.my bfm 89.9 The Business Station